Hey, this is Adam Starling. I'm the senior pastor at Victory Family Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray this message will inspire you, encourage you, and hopefully challenge you to become everything that God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? We good? Good. Glad you guys are here uh, today. Hey, listen, if you're a guest, man, thanks for being here, man. Super honored that you are in this place. Let me tell you what's interesting for me. Like, I look out here and like some of y'all, y'all sit in the same spots. Like, I'm just like, oh, they're there and someone's not there. And so I'm watching. So I'm glad you're here uh, today for sure. Uh, again, if you don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, really just honored that you're in this place. Uh, a regular man, I'm glad you're here also. It's been a good day. It's been a lot of fun today. Uh, you probably noticed as you walked in or saw on social media, but it's, it's game day Sunday, which could mean a couple things. Uh, we're just going to have church. I mean, it's going to be normal church in here, but there's some other things that we're doing. Uh, make sure, I need to see some of y'all on that mechanical football. I mean, y'all need to see, y'all need to ride that after the service for sure. Uh, but man, there's popcorn out there, man. Really, I, here's what I believe. I believe that the message of Christ must never change. Like we will never in this building, never compromise the message of Christ. Now we may do some things, man, to get people to come and, and to have some fun because I believe, man, that as believers in Christ, like we need to have some fun. Like we celebrate and, and serve the greatest God in the world who quite honestly created fun. And so we celebrate some things and have a little fun along uh, the way. Uh, before we get into the word today, let me tell you about two things I wanna make sure you know. Men in the house, where you at? Where you at? Men, come on, come on, come on. That's a dog pound. Yeah, that's the men. So, so listen, uh, this week, this Saturday, which would be the second Saturday of the month, is what we call men's breakfast. And so what do we do there? Men gather, they eat breakfast. It's a lot of fun. It's a good time to gather. But literally, we'll have a little worship. We'll have some people share a word. But listen, if you're a dude in the church, man, I I'd love for you to be there. 8.30 this, this Saturday. Man, we kind of took a break last month, really just to kind of build some anticipation. We're actually giving away a TV this Saturday if you come. And so I'm not saying it's 100 inch. I'm not saying what it is. I don't know. I just know we're giving it away. And so come uh, be a part. Uh, we should have done it maybe last so you could watch the Super Bowl on the TV or something. But uh, man, it's going to be a good time uh, just to come and be a part. I, I believe what we need. We need men of the church to raise up and be leaders. Man, I'm going to lead our family. I want to lead my family better than I'm currently leading my family. And so I think if I can, I can bump shoulders with other brothers in this church, man, I think we can learn from one another. We can grow with one another. The scripture said actually that iron sharpens iron. And so we uh, gather together to do that. Um, also, want to make sure you know, right after this, uh, that's probably why you came to 1130, right after this is get to know class. And so I'm glad you were here. I'm glad you showed up for the pre-get to know class. And so right after this, uh, we gather. So if you don't know what that is, uh, if you've got a church background, probably for a lack of a better word, man, get to know is basically membership class. We don't officially have membership here, uh, but that's really what it is. You get to learn about the church and why we do the things that we do. Get you to ask some questions. I tell people, and it sounds like a joke, but I mean this, like get to know for some people, it's just like kicking the tires, man. Do I want this to be home? Is this where I want, is this where I feel like God's called me to be? Here's what I know. He's called you to be somewhere. I'm positive. And God has called you to plug in, in somewhere. And so if that's here, man, uh, the reality is things are just going really well here, man. God is being so good to us, so gracious. Uh, we'll have this garage during the next couple months. And really, I, I need 25, 30 people immediately who are not currently serving. And so I believe, again, the church exists. Uh, really, uh, we exist for the church's benefit. The, the church doesn't exist for our benefit. We exist for the church's benefit. And so uh, you were created to serve. And so need you, uh, you can sign up for something to serve at Get to Know. So stick around. 
Super Bowl Sunday. That's tonight. So how many of you guys watching the game? How many of you guys care about the game? How many of you guys like, not, didn't really care about that game? Go ahead and get your hand up. <clears throat> okay, we're probably half and half, okay. I, I, but I am curious. I've kind of took a bit of a sample all day long. How many Chiefs fans? Chiefs Nation, where you at? Okay, okay. Now, I, I would say Buccaneers. I'm just gonna say Brady. How many Brady people in here? <clears throat> Because could you name another player? Hardly. So, so it's, it's Brady, man. Hard to bet against that guy, man. It's hard to bet against that guy, but we'll see how that goes uh, tonight. We're going to watch at the Porterhouse. But open your Bibles. Mark chapter 2. Let's go to work today. As you're maybe doing that, I want to tell you, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Ten Commandments that we all know so well before we get and land in Mark chapter 2. So if you get in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20, and you begin kind of reading through the Ten Commandments. A bulk of them, religiously or, or even irreligiously, they just make a lot of sense. Like they just make a lot of common sense. So if you don't know, he says things like this in the Ten Commandments. Don't make things God that aren't God. Because if you do that thing, whatever you've decided is your God, whatever it is, it cannot bear the weight and it will collapse on you. It will harm you and everyone else around you. So listen, if you make your spouse your God, it goes bad. If you make money your God, it doesn't end well. If you make your children your God, that goes bad. And on and on, I could list different things. If you make something God that's not supposed to be God, it will be unable to hold the weight of your expectations and eventually it will betray you and ultimately destroy you. And that's really the first commandment. And that's kind of a paraphrase, but that's the first command. You should have no other gods before me. Then he goes on to say, don't be a liar. That just makes sense, right? You shouldn't give false testimony. It just makes common sense. And then he says, leave your neighbor's wife alone. Like that just makes sense. Don't try to seduce your neighbor's wife. Don't commit adultery. Most of these, they just make logical sense if you're church people or if you're, if you're, you're not. Be content with where you are. That's just good advice. Like I've always found it interesting why people have such a problem with these being posted somewhere. Like these are all good logical advice that most people would agree with. And so as you read them, you're kind of going, yeah, 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 of course. Of course God would be concerned with that. At least that's what I think when I read them. Yeah, it makes sense that he would be concerned with that. And I'm grateful that he gave those tablets to Charlton Heston, right? So we can read them and I can say, yeah, man, I can see why my God is concerned with that. Now there's one you get to in verse eight that I don't know, it just kind of stands out as almost kind of peculiar to me in regard to what God would actually be concerned with. And so, so far, you have what I would say are these great, uh, huge ethical themes. And then finally, he says, for six days, you're going to work and the seventh, you won't. And not only will you not work, but your sons and daughters won't work. Your servants won't work and nor will your animals work. My animals don't work at all anyway, but so I'm fine with that. No one will work. In fact, it says God created, he, he built, he created for six days and on the seventh, he rested. And the last part of that almost gets a little theologically weird for him because God doesn't need rest, yet he's taking it. So he's taking this rest. And so the idea of Sabbath, I think is kind of just interesting because God appears to be concerned with the weekend, doesn't he? Like it seems to be, if it's one of us 10, like he's concerned with the weekend. 
And then really, if you'll follow this and actually do kind of a word study on this idea, he gets really aggressive when he talks about the Sabbath. If you get into Leviticus 23 and 24, he literally tells the nation of Israel, if you will not stop, if you will not rest, if you will not celebrate, surely I will destroy you all. I mean, that's God talking to his, his people. And so I just think, man, I think we've kind of lost what's happening. And, and maybe we've even forgot some basic, what I would say are foundational truths and beliefs that we have as Christians. So I don't know why, but the Sabbath, I think, just kind of gets left out. When we look at the commands, like we're, we're all in on the other ones. I'm not going to be a liar because God probably wouldn't want me to lie. There's all these things. But the Sabbath, I feel like, sometimes gets neglected even though it's still on the same list. So if you grew up in church or like even a, a super spiritual family, maybe Sabbath for you was just a day where you weren't allowed to do anything, right? So if you grew up in church, maybe like Sabbath is like, hey, can I go to John's house? No, it's Sabbath. You will not go anywhere. You will sit there, have no fun and think holy thoughts all day long. That's what you do, right? This is the day the Lord has made. You will rejoice and you will be glad in it as you sit there. And so that's your background, man. The Sabbath probably doesn't make a lot of sense. The Sabbath is just when you don't do anything. Unfortunately, that's not biblically the idea of the Sabbath at all. So which is going to take us to Mark chapter 2? So if you have your Bibles, go with me. Mark chapter 2, and we'll pick up here in verse 23. Listen what the text says. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. That's Jesus. And they made their way. His disciples, as they're walking, they begin to pluck the heads of the grain. So they're doing a little work. So they begin to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees, the smart religious people, were there saying, hold on, look, what are they doing? What it is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did. I love how Jesus constantly quotes scripture to men who are experts in the scripture to show them they're wrong. It's a constant practice of Jesus. He loves the book of Deuteronomy. He is constantly quoting the book of Deuteronomy to men who memorize the book of Deuteronomy to prove to them they're teaching out of the book of Deuteronomy. They're teaching it wrong. So he constantly does that over and over. So let's keep reading. So he says, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Ebatar, the high priest, and he ate bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And then verse 27 is kind of this momentum kind of verse that says this. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Get this, the Sabbath, why it's created for man. It's for your good. That's why it's created. It's for man, not man for the Sabbath. So we're not serving the Sabbath. The Sabbath is serving you. It's made for man. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And so I think at this point, man, it gets into this kind of constant, what I would say is kind of a conflict from what we believe actually as Christians and what the world believes that we believe. So here's how it works. I don't know if you've uh, spent a lot of time with, with those who are not believers, but this is a little bit exaggerating, but, but this is what they think. They think, the church, the, the believers in Christ, that we believe these moral laws, that we obey, because if we don't obey these moral laws, that God's going to send us to hell, give us cancer, or send us some firebolt out of the sky to burn up the earth, right? That's what they kind of feel that that's what we're doing, that we have this devotion to the scriptures 
and to our God that's solely fear-based. Now, I do think the reason some believe that because for some of us, it's true. Like maybe we grew up in a church where the pastor utilized fear to get earthly numbers at the expense of heavenly ones. So I'll say it to you like this. Heaven is not a place for those who are afraid of hell. It's a place for people who love God. That's very different. That's very, very different. The truth is the Old Testament, anytime anyone speaks about the law, always, you never see as it's spoken to as kind of weighty or, or driven by fear at all. In fact, David says the law is like honey on his lips. It said that he lays in bed at night and he thinks on the law. So the law is never viewed as a negative thing. Like we don't obey the law because if we don't, God destroys us, right? We obey the law because it's God's way of leading us into life, leading us into depth and meaning and significance, purpose, and hope. We obey the law because the law is good. It's good. Not because we're afraid of lightning bolts, cancer, or death. That's not why we do it. And that's what he's saying right here. God did not make these rules grab a hold of man, throw him into the maze of rules and say, well, good luck. Hey, Holy Spirit, Jesus, watch this. Like, what are we, what are we gonna do to him? Let's give him tsunami. Let's give him plagues, right? That's not what's going on here at all. The problem is a lot of us, that's our view of God. And some of us, even who are walking with him, have a very unhealthy view of God. Now, I'm not saying that at times God won't crush you. But for the believers in Christ, the believer cries out like the scriptures did, may the bones you crush rejoice, like in Psalm 51. Sometimes God, yeah, he will break your fingers to get your hands off of what will harm you. He'll do that. Stop making excuses for our God. Oftentimes we, the church, we feel like we have to make excuses. God wouldn't do that. Oh, he would actually. God, God cares so much about your affection for him. It's absolutely, and it's been true in every single book of the Bible. J.R. Packer has a great quote. It says this, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people and he sends them both joy and sorrow to detach their hands from the things of this world to then attach their hands to him. The scriptures say that God makes man. And then he says, for man to be created what he's supposed to be, here's what he needs to do. And then he creates the law. So the law was created not to rob you, not to take away your fun, but to actually give you joy. So the law really, as we read it in the Old Testament, it's about life. It's not about death at all. So in the end, God has said, you have God that has said, here's how the universe should work. Please use it like it was created to work for your joy, but for my glory. And so then he unveils, unrolls the law for us. Let me show you a couple of things. I'm gonna tie this all together here. If you flip over to Isaiah chapter 43, verse six and seven, I'm, I'm gonna read, or if you read verse one and three, you'll see that really what he's talking about is the creative order. He's talking about creating all of us as men and women. He is the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the one who did it, okay? So I'm gonna pick up and read verses six and seven. I just think they really speak to the purpose that you and I are created. If you're confused why you're created, it tells us right here, listen to what he says. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created, what for? For my glory, who I have formed and made. 
One of the things I wanna make sure I do over and over in my preaching to you on Sunday mornings is to make sure to get you to the story of the Bible. Like the story. This is not 66 different stories. There's one story and that story is about God reconciling man to himself. That's the story of the Bible. If you don't have that overarching understanding of the scripture, the problem is you'll begin to concentrate on a paragraph or two. You'll begin concentrating on a scripture or verse or two, and you'll end up teaching or believing how to be good, how to be good. And there is a God and you had better behave. So that's what you'll begin thinking, not understanding this whole book is about God reconciling you to himself, but you'll pick and choose a few things that I better be good or here comes the lightning bolts. I better be good and understand. He, the whole story of the Bible is God reconciling you to himself. But why? Because God created you and I as image bearers. God says, let us make man in our image. And then he creates you and I as image bearers. We're bearing his image to the world. And you'll look, and I'm almost gonna land this thing. He gets in Genesis chapter one and you read and he gives us this cultural mandate. Like this is how everything is set up. God says to mankind, you're image bearers. Fill the earth, you know this, subdue it, right? Create art, build cities, start businesses, plant crops, get married, have children, be grandparents, celebrate, live, love, and laugh. But then a couple chapters later, sin comes into the world and it fractures that cultural mandate. And then now you and I are cracked image bearers. We no longer reflect the glory of God. Instead, we begin to make creation our God. That's Romans 1. We begin to make creation our God and it cannot bear the weight and so it collapses around us. We make our spouse our God. We make our kids our God, money our God, power our God, maybe our position of employment our God, our beauty our God. And listen, we make crummy gods. That's the problem. Like you guys are good at a lot of things. You're not good at being a God. Like same with me. I think I got, I've nailed a few things in my life, but I'm a terrible, terrible God. And then what happens is we do that and then we shake our fist at God and we say, why? You've put all this pressure on something, creating a God that's not supposed to be God in the first place. The reality is you're broken. I am broken. David says it like this. Surely I was brought forth in iniquity. Like I was born this way. Something doesn't happen to me. Like I was brought forth. I was born into this world in iniquity. So we're cracked icons and we're not displaying the glory of God. So then what happens? That's the need for Christ. So that's the story of the scriptures. Then the need for Christ comes. So Christ comes in and he reconciles and he restores us. The atoning work on the cross, man, it restores us to God. There was a separation between us and God, but Jesus Christ crucified on the cross now reconciles us to God, which then leads us in right relationships with, with ourselves and, and leads us with others and the good of the world. Now, here's another Western thing that I think I want to continue to address. I just think, I really think it's really just in the West that there's this rugged kind of individualism where Christianity for us has became about just me and my salvation. Like that's a bit of a messed up version of what we believe. Pentecost did not create individual believers. It created the church. So when we are reconciled to God, we're formed as a community, and now we live missionally in every avenue, every venue of our 
lives. So for us, and I'm not saying I nail this, let me tell you what it should look like to be a Christian. So I am a restored image bearer. My wife is a restored image bearer. We're doing our best to to help our children become restored image bearers. So when we bear the image of Christ around us, what that simply means is you and I, we're we're agents of reconciliation because that's the purpose of the Bible, reconciling himself to man. That's what we are. We're agents now of reconciliation. So everywhere we go. So if you go to the same Starbucks every day, your barista has a soul. Like here, she's not there just to get your coffee and get it now. My waitress at the restaurant, she's not just there to get me my chips and salsa and do it now, right? She has a soul. And, and if she's kind of rude, it needs to be my understanding that maybe there's hurt. Maybe there's fear or brokenness involved in her rudeness to me. And since I have been restored, since you have been restored, my response to that rudeness needs to be grace, patience, maybe even a larger tip instead of a smaller one. Because we understand because I'm an image bearer. Those of you who tip based upon service, aren't you glad God didn't do that to you? Aren't you glad he doesn't tip based upon our service to him and our delinquency to him at times? So why? Why is Because I get it. Listen, I pay $4 for this Coke. I would like it to be full. Like I get it. I understand. Why would I need to respond in that way? Because I'm an image bearer. Because I'm an image bearer of Christ. And so that's going to mean for me, I had better live a certain way in my neighborhood because of that. I should look different in my neighborhood to those who are not image bearers. I should look a little different. I should vacation differently. On my vacation, I should look differently. I should, I should be viewed in my hobbies in a certain way. Because listen, there's not a such thing for image bearers as a sacred and secular divide. There's not a thing at all. Everything has to be sacred to me if I'm an image bearer. And that's what I'm created for. You and I, man, we are sanctified. And as we live missionally in the world that you're in, that's how God grows you. I'm just saying, if you begin going, maybe it's the restaurant. I don't want to give up my money. I want my stuff. And you don't treat your waitress like she has a soul. Let me tell you what's being revealed. And it's happened to me. What's being revealed is that the grace that's shown to you in Christ, you don't show to others and you need to repent from that. And me too, me too. This is how we grow, not by going. I don't want to be bad anymore. I want to stop doing these sins anymore. That's how we grow as an image bearer. Yes, you and I, I always like to ask, those of you that that are trying to stop doing bad, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? Those of you who walked with Christ for 20, 25 years, and you're still trying to not be bad, how's that playing out? It's not. Like, have you reached perfection yet? That's not the goal. The goal for us is to be image bearers of Christ. He's growing each and every one of us differently every single day. But it's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about following Christ and becoming what he asked all of us to be. And that's an image bearer of him. So now God is saying, okay, you've been fractured. Now you're an image bearer. And if you don't walk like this, constantly giving of yourself, if you're gonna do that, if you're an image bearer, and you're gonna do as I ask you, you're going to need the Sabbath. If you're gonna give of yourself constantly, I don't know. If you decide you don't wanna be an image bearer, I don't know that you need rest. 
But if you decided I'm going to give my life to this thing and I'm going to bear the image of Christ everywhere I go, you're going to need the Sabbath. And here's why. When he's writing this, he's writing this text to a predominantly kind of agrarian society. There's no electricity. There's no DVRs. Like there's no Facebook here, right? When the sun goes down, the day is over. Like it's just done. But for us, I almost feel like we're at a disadvantage sometimes. Life has a way, I don't know about for you, but of just kind of endlessly piling itself upon everything that our very existence just feels like one giant obligation. Like you just feel like you have to get to the next thing. So we, we go from place to place doing the thing to thing and we lose sight of the things that matter and the tenders of mercies of God that's given to all of us. Let me give you a couple examples. So in our world, we're just always wired in. Like we're just always connected. Like we're never really are where we are. Like I found myself at a table with my wife and kids, but not there at all. Like actually not there at all. And the scriptures say the Sabbath is given because you, if you live your life like that, people become a commodity to you. That they're there to meet your needs. They're there to do what you say and you should do, and you should no longer have real deep relationships. Or have you ever found yourself snapping at maybe one of your children when they interrupt you from doing something that in the end is probably really stupid? What, what do you want? I'm trying to post this on Facebook. It's about church. Like, what, what is it that you want? And you snap, right? No matter what, I'm tweeting right now. You ever find yourself doing that? Of course not. You, you probably just snap at your kids for interrupting you praying and studying your Bible. But if you have, let me tell you what's just happened. Well, your wife has now become a commodity to you. You don't have to listen to her. You have to answer this email. And your children are a commodity to you that you can buy and sell, and you don't have to really engage and actually go after their hearts. So I ask you this question. Do you have a day where you just unplug? Like, do you have a day where you're not looking maybe at emails or maybe people, I don't know, can't even text you or maybe you don't respond unless it's a real emergency. And listen, I know, I know some of you are saying, okay, preacher boy, I have this huge company and I rule the universe. Like I know you're, you're thinking that. Here's what I would say to you as you sit back and count your gold. I, I would say this, maybe a day for me too, where we step back, man, and we, we keep yourself from believing that we're God and the whole universe is going to collapse if we're not available. I just think that'd be good for our perspective. I think it'd be good for all of our perspective. And listen, for some of you, I know that stung a little because I'm gonna be honest, it stung me a little bit. It stung me to write that because I know I was talking to myself. So do you have a day where you simply unplug and you stop doing and you simply just are? Do you have a day? Because that's the Sabbath, a day set aside, a holy day. I don't know if you know this, but in Isaiah 58 says, the Lord promises that those who do Sabbath will mount upon and ride on the heights of the earth. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds incredible. <clears throat> I mean, do you have a day where you just are? Like, do you have a day where you're unplugged? A day that you enjoy the simple beauties of God that he's given you. So when do you Sabbath? When do you stop? When do you actually breathe? I just think if you don't say this is the day this week while we're doing this, you won't do it because stuff has a way of just violently invading our spaces. And some of you, listen, you're gonna have a really difficult time with this because your whole worth is made up in what you do. 
So you find value in the things that you actually do. And listen, some of you are just addicted to connection. Like it's going to feel wrong that you can't tweet what you're Sabbathing and when you're Sabbathing. That you can't go on Facebook and talk about what you're doing while you're Sabbathing. You can giggle and laugh, but I'm telling you, do it. It will woo you. Like it draws you in. It means that many of us are addicted to technology and you need to breathe. You actually need to breathe. This has been painfully obvious to me in the last couple months. So we got our boys' phones for Christmas about six months earlier than, than we said. We got weak and we caved, yes, for sure. I, I won't tell you which one, but one of them, when we opened the presents <clears throat> on Christmas, you know, you want that excitement, right, for your kids to open up? Uh, one of our children almost literally cried with joys of excitement. So I don't know if I was happy. I couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to do there. But Timothy, I'll tell you, because this was funny. He literally said, uh, Timothy said, finally. So now when the teacher says you're done with your work, everyone can have tech time. We're not, me and Paul are not the only two who grab a book. <laughs> so good. So good. So, so they have phones, man, and we got some pretty strict rules with them, and they got some legit contracts they've entered into with us with these phones. But I, I showed you some pictures a couple weeks ago, but we went on, went on vacation to Alabama with the, with the Starlings a couple, a couple months ago around Christmas time, and, and I just told them ahead of time, because they just got them. They're fired up for these phones, and I said, listen, man, we ain't going to roll phones the whole time. Like, we're not going to do that. Like, we're going to be present with our friends, and, and we're going to legit kind of feel this kind of Sabbath, man. We're going to get away and kind of unplug from the world, and so we also have, it's kind of fun, side of them having phones, is we have this, this family group text that we just, it's called FamBam, and so we, we text a lot back and forth. And so I'll be honest, I noticed pretty quickly, uh, uh, I just felt like they were a little too glued to them. I felt like they were a little too much probably still on their phone, even though we talked about it. And I don't want to get in trouble on, on, on vacation. So I thought I'm going to do this a different way. And so I started taking pictures of them. And so in the group text, I threw this up there. So this one first came in, got him, got him, got him looking at his phone. And I'm like, and he just looked over. I said, come on, bro. And so then a couple minutes later, I took another one. Took another one, got him, got him again. I mean, like I'm catching him. And then, and then I think of one here, right? And then about 30 minutes later, another text comes through the phone. Yeah, I didn't do that one. Dang it, I didn't do that one. I didn't post that one, right? <laughs> so when are you gonna do it, right? Like when are you gonna do it? Like when are you actually going to unplug? You have to figure out how to do it. How do you rest with the Lord? Like, how do you set aside time? And, and I make jokes about your big company. I get it, man. It, it's not easy. The last thing I would is want to stand here and make it sound like this is simple. It's not. Especially if you've arranged your life in such a way that like, that's how you function. I'm just saying, I never see it as a suggestion in the scriptures. It's always a command. The Sabbath is always a command. Abraham Heschel is a rabbi, and, and he said it this way. A man who works with his hands will Sabbath with his mind. And a man who works with his mind will Sabbath with his hands. I don't know if he's right, but it sounds good. I never see Sabbath in Scripture as a suggestion. Family, it's always a command. Sabbath is not a suggestion. You see that, right? Like it's everywhere. You need it. I need it. We need it. When will you Sabbath? How will you Sabbath? I don't think the Sabbath is 12 hours in bed on a day, necessarily. Which you have to fight also, because I have to fight this. Don't equate Sabbath to laziness. That's what I do. 
That's what my mind does. Like I think, no, 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 I've got to do something. Thinking, I don't know that, that Sabbath is necessarily just watching Netflix all day. I think it's sitting and de- dis- disconnecting from the world and allowing to see the beautiful new mercies of God every day and to actually rest in the Lord. And there may be some doctors that would disagree with me when I say this, but I don't know that a couple extra hours of sleep is really gonna help your actual rest. I'm all for sleep, I get it. There's some health benefits, but we're talking about real rest. I think you only find that in Christ. For the believer, you only find that in Jesus. You need it. We need it. How will you do it? And husbands, listen to me. This falls on you. This falls on you in the house. What's this look like? How does this play out for my family? And I'll be honest, I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm not standing up here like I've got all this together. I'm probably preaching to myself more than any of you today. It's hard for me to rest. It's just hard for my mind to stop and to unplug from the world and be present with the Lord and my family. I struggle with it sometimes. May you learn to rest well in Him. May you learn to see the simple mercies. May you learn to see that all of those simple mercies still constantly point to the cross if you'll look. And may you find strength, vitality, hope, and there and there alone. The Sabbath is meant for you. You are an image bearer that needs rest. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who didn't need rest, but rested, that we might see your example. God, that we might see what we should follow, God. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that true rest comes in you. And that God, in the the midst of resting, we can be confident that when we're off the clock, you never stop moving. When we unplug for, for hours, for a day, remind us, God, remind us we're not God. Remind me. Remind me that, that my, our families will be fine, our, our businesses will be fine, this church will be fine if we just unplug and we rest in you. Give us peace, Jesus. Just with the head bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you a couple questions. Number one, maybe you're walking with Jesus right now. You love Christ. You've been a believer for some time now. But if you're honest with yourself, you struggle with this. You're knocking a few of the other ones out of the park, but this Sabbath is resting like you struggle with it. If that's you, man, I just want you to lift up your hand. I'm gonna say a prayer for you. Yeah, your hands all over the room. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus. God, supernaturally, God, you would give us a sense of peace when we rest. We would experience your peace. God, I pray as the world seems to be flying around and around and around and things keep coming and keep coming and keep coming, God, give us the ability to step away and to enjoy you, to rest in you. Everyone that raised their hand, God, I I pray in Jesus' name, you'd give us that ability. Or maybe you would say this, if, if you're honest, you would say there's really never been rest in your life. 
You don't feel rest in your life at all. And it just feels like life is, is totally chaotic. And you understand this in a weird way, but you don't control anything and you get that. And you feel like life is just out of control. I'm telling you, the only peace, the only comfort you ever find is in Christ and Christ alone and him being your savior. And I hope you got today that, that Christ come to reconcile you to God. He came and he lived and he died a horrific death that you and I wouldn't have to, but to bring us to God. And now there's a way. He made a way. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, but today, man, you say, man, today's my day. I want to commit my life to Christ. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand. Yeah. Or there are others that would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, today's my day. Yeah. I want us as a family to pray this prayer out loud all together. Pray this way, Father God, thank you for saving me. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media and tag at VFC underscore Newcastle. If you haven't already, download the Victory Family Church app to stay connected with everything that's happening throughout the week. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week.